Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonderful grace that you've shown to us in Jesus Christ. Please help us to understand these beautiful words that Paul wrote so long ago, but are so meaningful for us today. Amen. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good, go to, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks for that, Gillian. And let me just add my welcome to that of Andrew's. Um, it's great to see you all here this morning. Uh, and again, my name's Paul, um, and it's my privilege to bring to you the Word of God. Um, so I will also pray. You can never pray enough. Let's do that. God, we thank you for the Bible, which teaches us about your goodness, that you sent Jesus to save us. Help us to have open hearts and minds as we listen and learn from you today. May you teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I've got some good news for you today, and some bad news. What would you like first? Oh, we got the bad news. That sounds good. Let's follow the order of the passage. We'll start with the bad news today. Trust me, the good news outweighs the bad news. So hang in there. As we start with our first point, which you'll find in your handouts in your leaflets there. Without Christ, we are dead in sin and under the wrath of God. And we read about that there in verses 1 to 3. Read with me. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So the Apostle Paul started a church in Ephesus, which is on the western coast of modern-day Turkey. And Paul is now writing to these Christians to remind them of what they once were. They were, verse 1, dead in transgressions and sins. This statement expresses a general principle that is true of everyone. 
Without Jesus Christ, we are spiritually dead and we're cut off from life in God. If transgressions and sins are described in verse 1 as this, the cause of the spiritual death, what are they? Well, simply put, they are breaking God's laws and not meeting his good and perfect standards. And Paul goes on to pinpoint three different things we follow that characterize a lifestyle of transgressions and sins. Firstly, in verse 2, notice there that Paul says a sinful life means following the ways of the world. The world describes this sphere of corrupt people, ideas, and influence that teaches us to live a life contrary to God's ways. God made us, and so he knows what's best for us. But instead of following his ways, we follow the world. Secondly, a sinful life is marked by following the devil, who is described in verse 2 as the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. The devil leads a rebellion against God here on earth. He's described in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, as the one who leads the whole world astray. We rebel against God, and instead we follow this disobedient leader, the devil. And thirdly, a sinful life is marked by following, verse 3, our flesh. By flesh, Paul doesn't mean our bodies, as though our bodies are bad. God made our bodies, so our bodies are good. No, Paul's using this word flesh as a way of describing our sinful, selfish desires, which are just as real as the flesh on our bones. We satisfy these selfish desires and thoughts. We follow our own flesh. What does it mean, then, that a sinful way of life makes us dead? It makes us dead in the sense that we're powerless to change our own circumstances, like a corpse in the grave, cold, lifeless, and helpless. We're enslaved to sin with no way of escape. We're also dead in another way. Verse 3 says that because we live a sinful life, we deserve the wrath of God. These sins are crimes that earn us eternal death. Rebellion makes God our enemy and rightly provokes his wrath and judgment. You see, God is perfectly good and just and righteous. And therefore, his anger must burn against evil, injustice, and unrighteous sinners. We'll have the first slide up, please. In the United States, when a prisoner is about to be executed and is making their way towards the execution chamber to be put to death, the prison guards call out, Dead man walking! That is, they're not physically dead but they're as good as dead because they deserve execution and they're about to be executed. There's nothing they can do about it. Their hands are tied. And we're the same way according to God. On our own, we are dead men and women walking. Everyone has a sinful nature. It's not hard to come to this conclusion. Children don't need to be taught to do wrong, right? They already know how to do wrong from birth. That's why their parents are always correcting them. Or think about teachers in this very classroom, constantly correcting their students for bad behavior. Or look at the news. We have greed and deceit, envy, slander, arrogance, hatred, gossip, theft, murder, sexual immorality, war, poverty, and the list goes on and on. It doesn't matter where you go, you can't escape it. Our whole world is dominated by sin. 
This may get you thinking, if God is so good then, why doesn't he just do something to stop all this evil in the world? Well, God has done something to stop sin. He stops sin by stopping the sinner with death. A loving God cannot let evil continue forever. So one day he's going to quarantine all evil to the realm of hell. And everyone will be held accountable for the crimes they've committed against God here on earth. Yes, God will punish Hitler and those who have committed genocide. Yes, God will punish the rapist, the pedophile, and the murderer. But God is so thorough and his justice so pure that he'll also punish those who have lied or stolen, those who have hated or been greedy, or those who live as if God doesn't even exist. I'm afraid that's going to include you and me, isn't it? None of us are perfect. And God even sees the secret impure thoughts of our hearts and minds. We'll all be guilty when we stand before our maker. And this is the bad news. Everyone sins. Everyone deserves God's judgment. And there's nothing we can do about it. Now it's time for the good news that you've all been waiting for. So you can take a deep breath. Thankfully, there's another way God puts an end to sin. Because of God's love, he intervened by sending his son into the world. This is our second point on your handout. God makes dead sinners alive in Jesus Christ because of his grace and for his glory. Read with me uh, there, verses 4 to 7. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. If verses 1 to 3, which we just looked at, describe the actions of mankind, well, verses 4 to 7 describe the actions of God. So what does God do then? God raises dead sinners to life when they were undeserving and helpless. How does God do this? It says it right there in verse 4. God makes us alive with Christ. Paul uses this unique phrase, with Christ or in Christ, six times in today's passage. Paul's making the point that a Christian's salvation is directly linked and united to the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and exaltation of Jesus Christ. Essentially, everything Jesus did is for us. You see, Jesus is God, and he became man, and he lived a perfectly obedient life. He never transgressed God's laws or sinned. He perfectly fulfilled every commandment, And when Jesus went to the cross, he took the sins of you and I upon himself. And along with those sins, the punishment that we deserve for those. Jesus voluntarily died on a cross as a substitute for us. He took our place, the innocent for the guilty, the righteous for the unrighteous, God for his creatures. Jesus was buried, and then three days later, he rose from the dead, proving he is who he says he was, God in the flesh. And then verse 6 says, 
he ascended into heaven, and amazingly, he took us with him. Jesus dies for sins and rises to new life, so that when we trust Jesus, his death pays for our sins, and we can rise to new life too. Verse 5 describes this new life as being saved. So what has God saved us from? He saved us from the consequences of our transgressions and sins. He saved us from spiritual death in this life, but also from death in the life to come. He saved us from his judgment and wrath and from hell. Jesus is like no one I've ever known. How about you? He dies for his enemies. This begs the question, why would God do this? Why would the Creator come and die for his rebellious creatures? Graceful. Because God is graceful. Verse 5 says, By grace you have been saved. Grace means undeserved favor. God gives us spiritual life as a free gift that we don't deserve and that we cannot earn by ourselves. Other religions say that you can make yourself right with God by doing good or by being a good person. By doing this or that, you can earn your way to heaven. But Christianity sets itself apart from all other religions. Christianity says no one's good enough. But that's okay. Because Jesus has come and done all the work for you. He's been good enough in your place. It's so comforting that salvation is free. And anyone who wants it can have it. Because God is graceful. God also makes us alive because of his, verse 4, great love for us. He doesn't love us because we're lovable or good. No, rather, God loves us because of his character, because he is good and lovely, because he chooses to love us. God is love, and verse 4, rich in mercy, and verse 7, kind. God also saves us for his glory, verse 7, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We are like a trophy in God's trophy cabinet. We are the prize for which Christ died. In the coming ages or in eternity, all creatures, men, women, angels, and demons will look at us and marvel at the glory of God's character because we are the evidence of God's awesome power and grace. God is God. It's only right that the creator of the whole universe receives worship and glory and honor. Even more so when he makes his enemies his trophies. Not by killing them, taking their heads and mounting it on the wall, but by being killed for them raising them up and mounting them in the most safe and secure spot in all of the universe where he himself sits on the royal throne in heaven. Verse 7 is a verse about eternal security. We are safe in God's hands. This is good news, isn't it? Have the next slide up, please. Imagine... You're a soldier in the battlefield, and an airstrike is just being called in on your position. As you dash for cover through the machine gun fire, you get shot in the legs and you fall down. You're losing blood and you go unconscious due to blood loss. You're as good 
as dead. But then, then suddenly, out of nowhere, a helicopter swoops in and airlifts you out just as the bombs explode right where you were lying. The helicopter pilot intervened when you were helpless. He's the one who saved you. You see, Jesus is like this helicopter pilot. He was on a rescue mission to save you and to bring you life from certain death. It was his decision to be lowered into the battlefield, lowered into the darkness to help you and to raise you up with him. Maybe you're here, sitting here today listening, and you're not yet a Christian. Well, again, I'd like to add my welcome to that of Andrew's. We're so glad that you could join us to hear a bit more about Christianity and about Jesus. If there's one thing I could let you know, it's that God is there. He's holding out this gift of life to you. All you have to do is to turn to receive it. You can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can have spiritual life and joy and peace and hope and, and, and life with God in heaven by praying to God, by talking to him and asking for forgiveness, by putting your trust in Jesus to save you and by turning away from your sin. Jesus came to rescue you. Will you take his hand? Well, maybe you're not ready. Maybe you're not sure yet. And I'm not here to force you, but I would like to invite you to continue to think this through. Keep coming to church. Also, you heard about the Explore series coming up on the 9th of May. I really recommend this series. Four weeks. You get to learn about the historical evidence for Jesus' uh, death, his resurrection, the reliability of the Bible, and other important topics. If you've ever wondered why we read this Bible and what, if you can even trust it, who Jesus claimed to be, he claimed to be God, how do you know he's God? Go along to that course. It's wonderful. I highly recommend it. Just uh, fill in that uh, communication slip or talk to one of the people with the lovely green lanyards. Uh, great fashion. Um, yeah, they'd love to be of help. Our final point we'll finish up with then. Find it in your handouts. God saves people to do good works. We read about it in verses 8 to 10. Read with me. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Well, you may be thinking at this point, if God's rescued me from my sin, and there's nothing I can do to earn it, I'll just be saved because of his mercy. Doesn't that mean then I can just live however I like? I can do whatever I want with my life, right? No, that's not true. Paul makes it clear we're not saved by works, but we are saved for good works. That is, we're saved to live differently. We already know that we're not saved by works, but by grace. We saw that in verse 6, but Paul repeats himself here in verse 8 for extra clarity. We are saved by grace, verse 8. It is a gift of God, not from ourselves, and verse 9, not by works. 
You see, God doesn't want us to mess this up. In fact, he's making himself super, super clear here. Salvation is only possible through Jesus' work, not your work. And Paul continues in verse 8, stating that you obtain this salvation through faith. That is by doing something, by putting your faith, your trust in Jesus to save you. However, even this faith is a gift from God, verse 8, so you cannot boast. Jesus gets all the glory. But we are saved for good works. Verse 9 describes the Christian as someone who is God's handiwork, someone who is the work of God's hands. Once we were corrupted, but now God has handcrafted us. He's made us new creations to do good works. An ostrich was made to run fast. A sloth was made to slow. But the Christian was made for good works. Next slide. We see that here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. The Christian is described in these terms. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. If you're a Christian, you are already part of the new creation. You're already part of the new creation by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives in you. So he can empower you to do the good works that you once found impossible to do. And these good works we do, in verse 10, are prepared in advance for us to do by God. God has prepared in eternity past a new way for us to live. And any good we do as his people comes from his plans, his provisions, and his preparations. As Christians, we are saved by faith in the good works Jesus did so that we can go on to do good works of our own. Next slide, please. It's like the life cycle of a butterfly. It starts as an egg, hatches into a caterpillar, and then it eats, and eats, and eats, and eats, and eats, and eats some more. It only knows how to do one thing, eat food. But then it goes into a cocoon, hanging there from a branch, its life is literally, literally turned upside down. And about two weeks later, something amazing happens, which scientists can't even explain. It emerges as a stunning butterfly. It can now fly, and it lives a completely different life from before. You see, God created the caterpillar not to remain in its original state as a caterpillar for its whole life, but to be transformed and changed into something more beautiful with more freedom. God has a purpose for everything, and his purpose for you is not that you stay the same either, but that you be changed from what you are into what you were always meant to be. God wants to take a sinner and make them a saint, make them more beautiful with more freedom, more than they could ever imagine. Now, some Christians get confused about what role good works play in salvation. They play no role. In salvation. Rather, they are evidence of salvation. Good works are evidence that you have faith and new life. The reformers had a, had a saying, they called it sola fide, saved by faith alone, faith and nothing else. Next slide. Martin Luther, the reformer, put it this way. 
We are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. What he means is that saving faith, genuine faith, is never alone. It's always accompanied by its good friend, works. They go hand in hand. So if you're a Christian, look at yourself. Can you see how you live differently because of Jesus? You should have different desires, different priorities, and different goals. Do you look different from those around you at work or at home or at school? I'm not saying you should be perfect. Christians are not sinless. But we should sin less. Now that we're children of God, we should act like our Father in heaven. We should look like him. If we talk the talk but don't walk the walk, we're just a bunch of hypocrites, aren't we? We don't want that, do we? So, what might this change look like in your life? Well, we read at the start of our passage that we were disobedient. So if we once lived a disobedient life, then we'll now want to live obediently to the Bible. We'll test and compare what the world is saying and what the devil is saying, what media and music and entertainment is saying to the word of God. And we'll let God have the final say over how we should live our lives, even if that means we're in a minority. One of the main ways you can do this is to join a Bible study group here at church. If, you, if you're not yet part of one, I highly recommend you do that. How else are you going to know the way to live your life? The Bible is like the manual for life. It's God's word written just for you. Also, if we once lived to gratify our selfish pleasures, instead we'll now strive to meet the needs of others before our own. If we once were dead but now have life, we'll want to share the gospel of Jesus so that other people can have life and joy and peace and hope too. It's a joy to live the way God lives. And we do it out of thanksgiving to him for what he's done. And even when we fail and fall, which we will, we need to remember it's not what we do that saves us, but what God has already done. God has raised dead sinners to life in Jesus Christ to live for him. So let's pray. God, we thank you and praise you that in your love and kindness you have not left us dead in our sins, but have granted us life when we didn't deserve it. We thank you for sending Jesus into the world to die for us and to rise to new life so that we can be resurrected too. Help us to live as your children by walking in the good works which you have prepared for us. And when we fail, may you remind us to rest in the fact that it's not about what we do, but about what Jesus has already done. All glory be to you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.